Welcome to another edition of the West Coast Preps Podcast. I am Chris Jackson, joined here by Gregory Moreland-Tune and Coach T from Vacaville Christian. Before I introduce Sam, I think this episode won't have an episode number. I think it's just going to be the official Horns Down episode presented by West Coast Preps. Does that sound great to everybody? I like it. <laughs> That's good. That's good. It's okay. I just got flagged 15 yards and scored like <laughs> one more and I'm ejected, so... Let's make sure I don't get tossed from our podcast. But, Coach, how are you doing today, sir? Oh man, I'm I'm doing great. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, our pleasure to have you on. So first off, just take us through. I know you're a guy from Texas. You've got the Longhorns hat on. What was it like for you experiencing sports out there in Texas? And who did you look up to growing up when you were living out there? <laughs> Man, you know, I'm sure, you know, every everybody's heard, you know, things are bigger in Texas and all that kind of stuff. And it's it's just bred into us. And football, actually just sports in general, are, are like a religion, to be quite honest. And um, that's what you do growing up. And, uh, I mean, it starts early. I think I started playing my first couple of sports at like age five and six back in the day and at the Boys and Girls Club. Um, playing football and you know my mom was terrified and uh, dad had to sneak me in to get signed up and it was crazy but it it, it changed my life uh, dramatically and, and obviously it's an event that's happened to get me here um, and then transitioning to middle school which we don't really have out here I mean those middle school games that we had sixth seventh and eighth grade were intense um, so there's a lot of good middle school football. And then, you know, getting out here, it's, it's really about the seven on seven circuit and the uh, youth football programs for all the different, you know, teams in the area and stuff like that. So a different dynamic, um, I think a little bit more had to do a lot more with, you know, state pride and, and pride in your school and all that kind of stuff. And, um, but it was just definitely a, a a, a buy-in family community feeling growing up in Texas and playing sports in general, but obviously football is the king. Um, and so it is great. Um, a lot of my coaches from middle school and high school, I still talk to. Uh, so obviously it's, it's impacting because it's not just about, you know, those times that you spend in helmets and shoulder pads, but the lifelong journeys. And because of that, uh, and those relationships that I've built, I've been able to, you know, it's been instilled in me. And so I think that has a lot to do with what myself and the staff are doing now with those things that have been ingrained in us, you know, playing ball in, in the South and stuff like that. Um, and it kind of helps us remember what that was like and how influential it was. And so we continue to try to have those or emulate that with our players and the relationships that we build and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. And then growing up, um, obviously the University of Texas has always been near and dear to my heart. I mean, I got the, the tattoo on my arm and of the horns and that's just the, that's a culture thing is really is divided. You're either an A&M fan or you're a, you're a Longhorn fan, you know, and then uh, everybody else kind of just goes to Texas Tech. And we really don't, <laughs> we really don't try to claim those guys or anything like that. But, uh, but it's, it's just an in-state rivalry. Um, it's probably, one of the biggest games um, other than the Oklahoma game. 
so that's what we all grew up, you know, getting ready for and, and to watch and, and hoping one day that we can go and play in that stadium and go to the games and all that kind of stuff. So, um, and heck, I still get all dressed up on Saturdays when I'm off and I don my Vince Young jersey and, and start hooping and hollering in front of the TV and all that kind of stuff. So uh, it's who I am uh, and uh, I'm proud of it. So, yeah. Now, when can we get Texas and A&M back on the schedule? That, it's been, what, seven, eight years? Yeah, I mean, uh, I know we were trying to get the game back. Um, I know Coach uh, Tom Herman and Jimbo Fisher were trying to work out a deal of trying to bring it back. I mean, everybody would look forward to that Long Star, that Lone Star showdown uh, every year. And uh, even though I think we, we got the better end of the deal mo the majority of the time, um, then moving to the SEC, I know there was a lot of issues when, you know, Texas wanted to have their Longhorn network and all the commercializing and stuff like that. And um, heck, the SEC was already doing it. So we're like, why can't we? You know, we're one of the top grossing or, or top producing um, organizations in, in all of the country. And, uh, and you know, A&M obviously didn't like the fact that they weren't going to get into that, that pot of the money. You know, and that's kind of, you know, the business side of football that we don't really like to talk about, but we know it's out there. And so last I had read and seen, and we're trying to get the game back. Um, I think the state needs it. Everything is so focused on the West Virginia game because, you know, their notoriety and with Dan Elverson resurrecting, in my opinion, that program and, and turning it over um, to, a, to a fair suitor, right? And so they're always going to be competitive. Uh, but we got to look at the tradition and trying to keep those guys at home and not letting them go to Bama, not letting them go to, you know, LSU, which is right close by, not letting them go to Oklahoma. You know what I mean? And so hopefully we can get something done, but I think it's a lot more bureaucratic at this point than it is. I, I think both sides want it to happen. I know the players do, um, but, you know, we got to get through that red tape stuff. So hopefully yeah. they work it out. Just get rid of the business stuff and let's start playing football. Oh man. Yeah. And that's the, that's the tough thing. Yeah. I mean, nobody likes to deal with the business side, honestly, you know, but now as a head coach, um, you know, you got to focus on that stuff. And so you got to put time for it and, and it kind of takes a little bit away from the X's and O's, but you know, you gotta I have a phenomenal staff that helps a lot when I got to go and, and put on the head coaching hat. So, yeah. Wish it was just about football all the time. It's a lot easier that way. It is. So then you're originally from El Paso. What led you to come out to California? Uh, well, I joined the Air Force uh, right out of high school in 2003. Um, went to Wichita Falls for technical training uh, and then got stationed out here. And uh, got here in September of 2003 and been here ever since. Um, I work here at Travis Air Force Base and uh, been an aircraft mechanic for the majority, almost the entirety of my career. I got to teach for a couple years, being an instructor, and that was that was absolutely amazing. And worked, did some logistical stuff, working with you know, movements and shipments and deployments and stuff like that. But um, you know, all the time I've been here, I've been deployed a bunch of times, six, seven times. Um, I was a flying crew chief for a good while. So I flew for about seven years and just a flying mechanic, you know, the plane's got to go places and sometimes they're going to break. So you got to have a mechanic and an assistant with you. 
And so trying to juggle all that and, and still, you know, coach football and, and go to school and have a family and all that kind of stuff. It's a, it's a task in itself, but yeah, I've been doing that for 17 years. And so pretty excited about that. And that's how I've been here. And what led you to joining the air force? And this is kind of a two part question going off that as well, joining the air force, serving the country like you have, and also being a coach and serving kids, where does that kind of background of giving back and serving others come from? Yeah, well, you know, um, almost everybody in my family growing up has some type of military background. Um, my uncle um, did 21, 22 years in the Army. And so being around that, I mean, he ended, a, he ended his career in Fort Bliss, which is there in El Paso. And uh, I remember as a young kid going on base uh, with them, uh, I was an avid bowler. So if you guys ever want to do a little bowling challenge, maybe we can get the local coaches together and have a little competition. So um yeah, we used to go on, on base for, for bowling tournaments and, and go to state for, you know, all around the state and doing different kind of stuff. So we played for the Fort Bliss team. Um, and then all my other, my dad's brothers um, were in Vietnam uh, in the Army. And then I have a cousin uh, that decided to go to the Navy and everyone was kind of like, whoa, what are you doing? You're kind of breaking protocol. Um, and then, Lord and behold, 2003 comes and I become the misfit of the family, right? Joining the big blue, joining the Air Force. And so uh, I, they gave me a lot of crap about it every time I would go home, but uh, it's all in love. But yeah, I mean, it's just kind of been a family affair, family business, um, something that I've ultimately respected my entire life. Um, I kind of grew up in that environment. You know, football is a lot like that, very disciplined and structured. And that was kind of the way my home life was, very disciplined, very structured. Um, so I, I think it was something innate that was just going to end up happening. I just didn't know it yet. Right. And so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm proud of, of what I've done and what we've continued to do. And it's just a family affair. And so, um, I know they're all proud and we continue to serve. So. And then, so going off the military, when did what led you to go into coaching as well as you had all the work and deployments what made you want to take on a coaching job as well yeah so um my one of my very first supervisors uh paul grokey uh he was running the pony baseball here in vacaville and uh his sons and all his sons you know friends played you know Jaden grokey and nick r dave and just a bunch of stud baseball guys but also a bunch of stud football players and we're at work one day and I'll never forget. He's like, you know, you play ball in Texas. So is that supposed to mean something to me? And so obviously, you know, that we, we got it, we've got that chip on our shoulder. So I was just like, why don't you let me show you, you know, kind of a thing. And, uh, I was young, man. I was like 19 years old at the time. And, uh, he was coaching the Vacaville junior Bulldogs. It's a youth organization here in Vacaville. And he said, why don't you come out and, you know, show us what you've got. And so there it went, man. And, and so I, I honestly went out there with like, man, I'm going to instill that Texas pride and that hardcore, you know, it, it was just a different mentality. Um, and then it, it didn't turn out that way. You know, it, he, uh, I remember him pulling me aside and saying, you know, you're going to come out here with a different fire, but in the long run, you're going to see it's not what you think it is. And I didn't know how to take that. And I didn't know what he was talking about until I met the players 
and you start diving into these 15 and 14 year olds lives. And I was 19 at the time. So it's like, what, what do I know? You know what I mean? I'm, I'm five years, you know, your senior. Um, but it changed my life. And he was absolutely right. Um, starting to work with those guys and, and they, they take on your personality. And it, it honestly, it became an addiction. It still is an addiction of mine. Um, you just, you don't want to let it go. And so those that can't play anymore, what do they end up doing? And they end up coaching. And I think it was there at, at that point where I knew where I wanted to be. Um, I had, had, I mean, it wasn't very long since I had just taken the shoulder pads off. Um, and I wasn't like, you know, a five-star recruit or anything like that. Uh, I started, I was a four sport athlete and I, I played in football, basketball, baseball, track, soccer, um, nonstop. And I was always on the field, but I had to work very, very hard to, to either be in the starting lineup or contribute to the team. And so just being a competitor, um, having love for the game and being a student just never left. And so there was the opportunity. And so obviously being my supervisor, he helped with the scheduling. And so that, that kind of got me started, um, out there working with those 14 and 15 year olds. And then it went to the 10 and 11 year olds. And then, um, I did that for about four or five years. And then, got the opportunity to move to the high school. And so that's when I got my first coaching job doing JV over at Bandon. Um, I spent my nine years there doing JV and defense and special teams. And then in 2012, 2013 season, I believe it was, is when I got called up to come be the varsity defensive coordinator and special teams coach. And so having to juggle all that kind of stuff, right? And so ultimately, uh, I had to let go of the youth stuff, um, but a lot of my buddies stayed with it. So, you know, we still stay in good contact and I try to help them as much as I can, the guys that are still in it. Um, but, you know, trying to juggle the youth stuff and the high school and then, you know, being in the military, it was it was just too much, man. There was probably a, a two-year stint where I was getting about two hours of sleep a day because I was going from working on airplanes at night um, to picking up Javen, you know, like I know I, we've talked about Javen before, um, and getting him to his weight workouts in the morning on base with me in the gym and then getting them to school, um, running home, trying to take a quick nap and getting right back in there for study hall and then running across town to meet my, my staff, um, to do, do the youth stuff, you know, and then you're out there till eight thirty nine o'clock at night coaching youth. And then now you got to run, put your uniform on and go to work. And so at the time, it just started to be too much. It started wearing on the body. And so it was just a, too much of a juggling act to, to maintain three lives. Um, so ultimately, obviously, the military is not going to go away. And that's not something that you can put off and put to the side. You know, you have an expectation. And uh, I'm, I, I try to carry myself to a very high standard. And... Uh, so yeah, I, I just stuck with the high school and uh, that way I could continue to serve in the military and, and make sure that I gave them everything that I possibly could when I was on duty that, and I could give my, my players everything of me when I was you know off duty. So that's kind of how that all worked out. And then speaking of a guy like Javen, we've talked about him before, like you said, we just saw the big news on him the other day, right? Obviously getting called up from the practice squad for the Raiders. How close are you guys still today? How much do you guys talk? And how great has it been to see someone like him just develop into 
obviously an NFL player like he is now. Yeah, um, man, you know, it's funny. We used to have a, I don't even know if they still do it. We used to have a, the black and orange bowl here in Vacaville down at uh, where Stevie Johnson did the, uh, the Exposure Academy showcase right there in that park, El Patch. And we used to play the last game of the season every year. And so you had the, tw- the whole organization, Vacaville Bengals, Vacaville Junior Bulldogs, you know, the in-town rivalry kind of thing. And, uh, and that was my first experience with Javen. Um, he was a Bengal and I was a Bulldog coach. And uh, man, the kids always had it since then. And, you know, one year he got us and obviously Javen was, if you don't know Javen, Javen's going to let you know, you know, if, if he doesn't show you with his pads and his play, he's going to come over to the sideline and let you know you're wearing the wrong helmet coach. You need to, you know, you need to put the stripes on. You should be on this other sideline. I'm over here giving you all this work. And so I just had a, a, a profound respect for him because I mean, he was 11 years old and he had that chip on his shoulder um, and he backed it up every single play. And, uh, and then that next year we got them in the black and orange bowl. And obviously I was like, I'm not going to let this go. So I had to go over and let them know like, Hey, you know, we got you, whatever. And that kind of just culminated the relationship. Um, and then that was my last year coaching in youth. Um, and then that's when I, you know, I was over there with, uh, with Bandon and then Javen, you know, ended up going to Bandon cause at the time he, he lived right over there. And so, um, he played receiver and DB and outside linebacker for us. And, um, that kid just doesn't have any quit. There's a fire in his eyes, the level of accountability that he wants to hold his teammates to, um, and the coaches. I mean, he's not afraid to tell you like, yo, I, I'm going to need more. And so I fed off of that. I fed off of that. I know the rest of the coaches that worked with him at the time fed off of that. And, you know, he became an unsung, uh, the unsung hero and the leader of that squad. And then sophomore year, uh, we, they moved up our quarterback to varsity, Jaden Brizendine, and he ended up taking over there. And so we had to put Javen at quarterback. And, uh, you know, you want the best athlete on the field with the ball. And so he had the ball in his hand. We had a really good uh, run that year and went seven and three. And then, you know, he went up to varsity, uh, was a standout wide receiver and outside linebacker. And so the, 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 the structure between he and I just never changed. And we were talking all the time and constantly breaking down his film and working out together in the gym and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and when he had to leave and relocate um, and go into McClyman's later on that for his senior year, I mean, we followed, you know, we would call mom, you know, Janica, who's, you know, I still talk to her weekly. I still talk to Javen weekly and we'd go out there and support him and watch him play against Skyline, went to the Skyline game that year. And then just kind of, you know, followed him through the process. And, you know, it's a grind for these athletes. Um, when you're getting recruiting, when you're getting recruited, man, it is, it's a mentally draining. It's, it's physically draining, right? All the work you put in, hoping that someone's going to give you that phone call and give you that opportunity. And so, uh, that's kind of my role that I took on later on in his life was just trying to keep him level headed and focused on the process. And, uh, you know, and, and UNLV took a shot on him. And I think that was probably a, a program changing pick for them um, because I think he did phenomenal things and, uh, and I'm glad that he stayed in Vegas. And so I try not to bother him too much now, obviously at the pro level. Um, so I'll text him probably weekly 
he'll call me. We'll talk on the phone. Um, but I know if he doesn't get right back to me, you know, right away, uh, he typically gets back with me within the week. So if I need to get a hold of him like immediately or whatnot, I, I normally go through mom because he's a mom's his number one fan. And that's in he, he's a mama's boy. He loves his mama. So I know that if, if Coach T can't get a hold of him, I know Janica can and just say, hey, pass his message to him. Let him know I love him. Uh, good luck tonight or whatnot since he got to play in that first game against the Saints. So I'm, I'm at work trying to download it on my phone as fast as I possibly can while I'm working just to see him get his couple reps, right? And he got on special teams and uh, played a couple spots at middle linebackers. So he reached out to me about a day or two later and said, hey, coach, I appreciate it. Thanks for, you know, the support you know, love you and all that kind of good stuff. So yeah, we, we keep up and uh, the sky's the limit for him, man. The kid's a competitor. Um, I've, I've coached a lot of good players, uh, continue to coach a lot of really good players, but Javen, Javen is different. And because he's different, he's going to have a tremendous amount of success in the league. I know that for a fact. Yeah. And then kind of going off of it too, how have you evolved as a coach going back from your 19 starting the Javen era, all the way to what you have right now with Kendall, Jerron, Bryce, Zach, all the players that you do have right now? Yeah, so obviously I, I think I was a little bit um, a little bit more wiry when I was younger. I think maybe being close to their age group kind of had something to do with it. Um, and then obviously I, I got married and had kids, and that changes your life significantly, right? And I'm a, uh, I'm a, a girl dad. So it, it double changes your life. Um, but I think now for me, starting, you know, from that Javen era and those guys to where I'm at now, I think it's more about getting them to understand that leadership and the character development and how important it is to, to represent yourself, your community and your team. Um, and how to, you know, just carry yourself, you know, the business side of sports that we were talking about yesterday and, and how we kind of started today was uh, you got to learn to market yourself. And what does that mean? And so you have to be cognizant of what you're putting on social media. You have to be aware of your behavior because you're a, a video away from somebody passing by uh, that could potentially, you know, change your life and, or ruin it. And so, um, that's probably been the biggest thing for me. The biggest change was learning that side of how to market your players and how to give them a, a different opportunity. Um, obviously we talk about the, you know, trusting the process and plus two mentality and all our hashtags for the culture and unfinished business, all that stuff you see all over uh, Twitter, but that's the huge difference for me. And I think because I grew up, um, it kind of helped me, change the way I approach football. And now it's instead of just being that wiry guy on the sideline, you know, about four years older than your players, you know, you're you know, 20 years older and that, that comes with grace that comes with experience. And so now it's allowed me to kind of stay level headed, even though internally I might want to explode because I'm a very big competitor and I'm a very sore loser. And you know, I got to go into my corner and sulk when I lose. And, you know, my wife knows, just leave dad alone. He'll get over in a couple of days or whatever. I just don't like to lose. But um, it was way worse when I was younger. I mean, bad. Like, I just, I wouldn't eat. It was just terrible. I, I, I just, I just took things so personal. Um, 
nothing against the kids, but just to me, I wasn't, I always was like, I wasn't good enough. I didn't prepare better, good enough. Um, and so I still take that on. Obviously I, I put a lot of weight on my shoulders just because of the standard that I have for myself and what we represent. But at the same time, I understand that they're always watching. And if I'm acting crazy and I'm losing control, then that gives them the right and opportunity to act a fool. And that's not right. And so, um, yeah, that's probably been the biggest transition for me is, is growing up and taking on more of a, a character development and leadership development approach with the football players, but at the same time, getting them to understand that it, it's time to work and no one's going to take it easy on you and no one's going to give you, no one's going to feel sorry for you, you know, so we got to get out here. We got to work. Um, and they understand that now and, and they're doing absolutely phenomenal. And speaking more of social media, we've talked about how important it is, obviously marketing yourself, not only your players, but for coaches as well. Obviously, you're a guy that markets your players all the time on Twitter. We see it constantly throughout the day. How important is it for not only players, but coaches like yourself to just go on social media throughout the day and market your players on social media, whether that's the various media outlets or to just different college coaches throughout the country? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's absolutely important. Um, I'm going to tell you right now, I was an anti-social media guy. Um, I barely had a Facebook. Um, I don't Instagram. My other coaches Instagram just mainly because I don't understand it. You know, I'm a, I'm a dumb mechanic at trade, I guess, at heart and a dumb football player, so to speak. But um, I just don't get it. But Twitter um, definitely kind of was a little bit easier to manage. And so my players for years were like, coach, you need to get a Twitter, coach, you need to get a Twitter. And I'm like, I don't do that tweeting, twatting, whatever it is you guys call it, man, get away with me, get away from me while I stuff. just put in the work, get in the gym, you know, that old school mentality and they're going to come find you. And, and then, you know, I kind of woke up and understood that you know, the world is changing and everything that they do is on the phone and in their hands. And so as a coach, it's your responsibility, in my opinion, it's your responsibility to market and put your kids in the best position possible. And so I was doing them a disservice all those years back by not doing that. And so I said, you know what, you got to get on it, you got to learn it, because it's not about you, it's about them. And so every day, every day, it's a conscious, deliberate effort to get on and make sure that you're, like Coach G talks about, stay relevant. Right. The last exclusive speed showcase, that's, that was the, the note that I took away. Right. And every time I get out and I get to watch or be a part of these these events, man, I'm, I'm trying to learn to. And, uh, you know, because I don't I don't ever want to be the smartest guy in the room. And so I respect Giles and what he does and have and just love everything about his platform and what he's doing for these kids. And so that resonated with me. You've got to stay relevant. You know, it's a business. And um, so getting on there every single day and just making contact, you know, with coaches, um, sometimes people just follow me because of, you know, stuff that you guys put out or maybe other podcasts that I've done. Um, and what does it do? It connects us. And I think that that's what is so special about what Exclusive Speed and Giles Chapman is standing for is here he is in the, in the middle. He's this trainer, right? That's kind of in the middle and all these coaches are around. And in one way, he's found a way to get all of us from different programs and unify, right, for the betterment of our athletes. 
and using his social media platform to be able to get all that stuff out. And so at the end of the day, it's not about, you know, what color or what helmet you wear or, or anything like that. It's about coming together for the, you know, a purpose. And that's getting these kids out and getting looked at. Um, and then we're being able to, you know, put aside all those differences and go in and, and get it done. And so how does that happen? Well, you can't get it done without one, a leader like that and a visionary. And then two, being able to put that out on social media and people see it, people love it. They start following your athletes. They start following you. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, I'm not Nick Saban about to sign a, you know, an additional $1.8 billion contract and get a house given to me by, by the university, anything like that. But we do it because it's for our kids and it's for their future. And if you're not on social media, marketing yourself in a positive, in a positive way, we don't, not that negative stuff, leave that stuff at home um, or just don't do it. But we get them to understand it's important. It's the way of the world whether us parents want to like it or agree with it or not, it is the way it is and it's not going away. And so um, I think we do a pretty good job of, of staying on that and, and making sure that our fans um, got a lot of supporters and people that believe in us are seeing that a lot of parents that want to see their babies talked about on, on social media and on TV and all that kind of stuff, make them feel good. But then ultimately your young football players, you know, you want to pour into them and tell them that there's greatness in them and that they, you know, they can do all things and, and all those kinds of things. And so when they get a little bit of a pat on the back, maybe from a media outlet or 24 seven sports, or they do really well at a, at a combine, it, it's huge for them. And it does so much for their, for their generation. And so that's just, it's different than the way you and I or us probably grew up. You know, it was, you did it for your coach. And if he gave you a, a pat on the back, you were lucky. But if he didn't, you kept grinding. You, you smiled anyway. You, you did it anyway. Um, but kids aren't built like that these days. And I understand that. And I'm okay with that. I can make the transition. And so social media just helps us do those kinds of things and puts them in a light that maybe a, a, a coaching staff on the East Coast would have never seen. And so, you know, that's another opportunity to be able to bridge the gaps, right? And as we're seeing in our, our culture and our society these days, right, we're just so sometimes so divided. And it would be super cool if I could get a kid from California and the culture that we have here. And let's get him to a William and Mary. Let's get him to a Harvard. Let's get him to a, a to a, a Howard. You know, what would that do for him, for that university, for that program? That maybe there's a kid there that's not, man, what's California like? Is it always, you know, sunshine and rainbows and Disneyland? That's all I've ever known. And so you'd be able to get those kids in a new environment to ultimately learn about the world around them and understand that there's more things outside of California. You know what I mean? And so sometimes you got to go to a West Virginia, which is filled with history and culture and a complete different dynamic, right? That I heard y'all talking about the, the bumping the John Denver on the way home, right? <laughs> Yo, these kids probably don't even know who John Denver is. If Jerron heard me bumping that stuff, he'd be like, Coach, are we for real right now? And I'm like, that's, that's a classic. Like, I grew up listening to that. What's wrong with John Denver? You know what I mean? But, uh, but they don't get to experience that and vice versa. I, I don't, do they listen to little baby out there in, in West Virginia? 
do they do they bump drink i don't i don't know i've never been up there yeah, no, you know no. what i'm saying <laughs> yeah so if we can get a kid from here out there what does that do to shape his lens of the world and ultimately what does it do for those kids out there that that's all they know and so i think that's the bigger picture about how important and powerful social media can be um, changing these kids' lives and the way they view the world. Yeah, and it really just opens up you to different experiences, right? You think growing up in California, you think it's all California, right? You think it's all 50 degrees and hotter all day, but in reality, you go elsewhere to Texas, like where you are, or to New York or Pennsylvania, wherever, and it's different people. They grew up differently than us, which is a good experience, right? It just opens your eyes to so many new things. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely a, a, a different experience. And, um, you know, it, I just try to get these guys to understand that, you know, you got to get out, you got to get out, you got to see the world. Um, because, you know, you if, if you're waiting till you're, you know, getting recruited and going to a different school, um, that's where you see a lot of kids come back home. You know, I've, I've in the past, I've seen a lot of kids coach up. I want to put in that work. I want to get recruited. I want to do, you know, they say all the right things and they do all the right things. And then they get there in the middle of nowhere. And all there is, is the university. Right. And they, they get a little depressed. They get a little homesick. You know, you're getting the phone calls or the FaceTimes at one, two in the morning because they're uncomfortable. They're uncomfortable, you know, and uh, sometimes they come home. And, and for me, I take that as a, I take that personally, because even though I'm not at home with you, I feel like I still have a responsibility to shape who you are. And it's my job to try to make you as uncomfortable as possible. So that way, when you get in an environment that's different, like maybe a West Virginia, you're ready for it. You're ready for it. And you don't come home. I tell them all the time. I'm like, look, we're going to help you. We're going to pack your bags. We're going to give you, you know, some money to help you, you know, buy some toiletries and all that kind of good stuff. And then, uh, and don't come home. We'll come to you. You know, we'll come see you play your football games. And they're like, what do you mean? I can't come home. I'm like, cause if you come home, you're not going to want to go back. And at the end of the day, I want to see you hang that piece of paper on the wall that says you got a degree in something and that you've done something with your life because football is going to end at some point it ended for me and now I'm coaching and I can't imagine not doing anything but coaching but for these athletes maybe coaching's not going to be in their future and so I think sometimes they believe that I'm invincible I'm untouchable I'm never going to get hurt it's never going to end and so that's why for us as a staff and me you know as a mentor as a leader as, as a, an individual that's always trying to talk to the kids that we just continuously try to beat in their heads that it's you're making a decision for the next 40 years of your life and who you become on that process is way more important to me than how many receiving yards you have and the touchdowns that you scored because like I just gave a, a brief into a class the other day at school they had me come and guest speak to the sophomore class you know and I told them sometimes um, people don't need you to preach a sermon sometimes they just need you to live one and so I take that very, very important and very um, try to push that on them as much as I possibly can and let them know, like, I'm, I'm still in school. I'm in my final classes for my bachelor's degree. And uh, 
And as soon as I'm done with that, I'm rolling right into my master's. I'm not stopping. Why? Because at some day, the train is going to halt. And I would be a hypocrite to tell you to go and get your education if I wasn't getting one or if I didn't already have it. And I'm like that with my daughter. Um, I'm going to be like that with my little one, my 14-month-old, when she gets to that point. But I'm like that with my football players because it's important for us as coaches to shape their culture now so that way when they get in those uncomfortable environments, they're already prepared and they understand because they experienced it at the high school level. Yeah, and I think being uncomfortable, people can thrive in that too, right? That's how you grow as a person, being in those uncomfortable situations and putting yourself in a situation that right, you're not comfortable in. And that's how you grow as a person. That's how I've always grown as a person is throwing myself in situations I don't necessarily want to be in, but it's going to help me down the road somehow, someone. Well, what's that saying, be comfortable being uncomfortable? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Eric Thomas, man, one of my favorite, my most favorite motivational speakers ever. You know, if you want to succeed as bad as you want to breathe, man, he, that's another individual that, I, that changed my life in like 2014, 2013, when I decided to go back to school. Um, I would just listen to him all the time. I watched all his videos, all his podcasts, uh, it just everything, right? And then it led me to like the Tony Robbins of the world and the Les Browns of the world. And then I just kind of like put the music away and just started listening to that. And uh, what it did is it helped me rewire my brain. And I got into this rhythm. I would be working out and I would just listen to this individual just pour into you and tell you, you know, you got to be, you know, comfortable being uncomfortable over and over and over again. And, and all the messages that he led. And, and I was like, you know what? These guys are right. And so it's going to make me a better person. It made me stronger in the weight room. It made me a better coach. Um, and then ultimately it, it, it helped me pour a message that I knew this generation would understand instead of, you know, maybe the old school way that I was taught. And so I think that that kind of helped me grow and get uncomfortable as much as I possibly can. So I can continue to grow. Um, and then ultimately be a, a vision for them, right? If Coach T is doing it and he's putting himself through this grueling workout or he or he's putting it, the time in and all the extra work that goes into trusting in the process, then I can do it too. And so um, I just think it helps send the message a little bit better for them uh, than just standing in front of them and telling them, you do it just because I said so. That, that doesn't work. That doesn't work with these kids anymore. Um, and again, uh, we can deny it all we want, but um, I'm always looking for ways to try to get them to respond. And we talk about that a lot. That's like the word of, of the year for us, respond. Responding to adversity, overcoming events, and how do we control the outcome? That E plus R equals O, like we talked about months ago when we first talked on the phone. You know, you can control the outcome of all the events that happen in your life, but you have to choose which way you respond so that's where we're at and then i want to get back into your team that you have right now and you've been there for a couple of years now at vacaville christian and the first year you know only had one win and then you get seven this year and get to the semis how has you been able to do that and then also um you know what kind of led you to vacaville christian what led you to wanting to go there and becoming a head coach yeah, well, um, I'll answer the how I got there first. 
um, you know, we talk about events, right, and how they shape us. Um, there, when I first started coaching, um, believe it or not, I was told that I would never be a high school head football coach, and that 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 hit me pretty hard. And so I always have this this coin term that I always tell the kids: never let them see you sweat. And I was sweating when that individual told me that I would never be hired as a head football coach. Why? Because my schedule wasn't consistent enough, right? Being in the military, being able to be called away at any time, all that kind of stuff. You're, you're, you're always, you're only going to ever be a JV coach or a youth football coach. And so because of that, um, not only was it a goal of mine to eventually be a high school football head football coach, and ultimately one day be a college football coach. But it gave me a fire and something to chase. And so, you know, we, we have that, that term that we hear in society, overnight success. I've been doing this thing for, I'm going into my 15th year. And when I heard that I would never be a high school head football coach, that the work just continued. And the, the late nights, of trying to be a better defensive coordinator, trying to be a better special teams coach, trying to be a better linebacker coach. Uh, when I transitioned to the offensive side, how to how to be a, a spread, you know, offensive coach, um, and all that stuff, all that work, all that time that I put in, led me to the opportunity. And I'm going to be honest with you, I wasn't going to coach in 2018. I uh, the team that I had over at Bandon, you know, I told them that. Uh, my time was growing done and, and it was time for me to go into that next uh, part of my life because, you know, I, I, I didn't finish my degree while I had the opportunity. And so I had told that squad that came in to the school in 2014 that, you know, I was going to see it through, see them graduate, go to college, and then I was going to take some time to go and finish my degree. So that way I could market myself and be ready for the opportunity if it ever arrives. And, uh, it didn't last, it didn't last very long. Uh, my wife's like, you're, you're not going to make it. There's no way you're not going to make it not coaching football. It's just not in you. And I'm like, no, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go full time. And, uh, I want to say six months maybe into after I was, uh, I left Bandon officially. Um, I got a phone call and said, Hey, um, there's an opportunity that I think that you would like to, to maybe sit down and talk about becoming a head football coach. Um, it's a, a crazy situation. The school hasn't had a program in three years. Um, there's all the kids that were here when they were booming have left. Um, and so you're a first time possible head coach and uh, you're not gonna have much to work with, but how does it sound? And uh, most people would probably be like, you're crazy. I want to go into something that's a little bit more established and, you know, has a little bit of history. And, and that way I can kind of work towards making it my own. Uh, but that's kind of never been my MO, man, I, I'll be honest with you. And so uh, I had a couple meetings and, and met, the, you know, administration and, and the athletic director and all that good stuff. And um, something just felt right. And I think the day that I finally sat down and talked with my wife and said, Hey, this is something I want to do. Um, I remembered, 
you know, that, that conversation of you're not, you're not going to ever be a head coach. And I said, no, this is what I need to do. And uh, my wife agreed. She's like, yeah, you need to do it because uh, you're going to drive me crazy not being a football coach. And uh, nah, you need to go do that. And so I did. And it's been probably one of the greatest blessings uh, that has ever happened to me because uh, I came into a different environment. Obviously, we're at a private school coming from a public school. Um, and that's just it's a different dynamic as a whole. And uh, but the administration, you know, welcomed me with open arms and had a, an ear to listen to the experiences that I've had and um, try to help as much as possible uh, shape that culture that we want to instill there and making, uh, you know, the football team really good. Because ultimately, like we were discussing last night, those guys are going to be your track team. Those guys are going to be your basketball team. And those guys are going to be your baseball team and all that kind of stuff when you're working at a really small school. So um, I got hired. We jumped on the train and um, it was all about trying to just get them ready for the field and try to get them understanding, you know, the system, the system, the system, the system. I'm a system guy. And, uh, you know, we didn't start out very, very well. They were young. Zach and Bryce and, and David Martinez, those guys were tiny. And here they are playing, you know, varsity ball with the big dogs. And so we, uh, we learned, you adapt, right? Respond to adversity. So we got bigger, faster, stronger in the off season. And then we started working on focusing on our culture and what it means to be uh, one and oh, you know, every week we're trying to go one and oh, you know, that's a Tom Herman, um, Ohio Stateism. you know, Urban Meyer always talked about going one and oh, that's all we're worried about going one and oh, we don't talk about the team up north all that kind of stuff, right? I listen to all that stuff and I try to process it and I try to use it with my football teams. Um, and so that was the focus. What do we need to do to go one and oh? What do we need to do to be bigger, stronger, faster? And we went into the lab, so we call it, and we got to work and those kids bought into going one and oh. And we turned it around. Uh, Zach and Bryce and, and David anchored the defense and you know Kendall and Tamani and Gabe Helmer came out and they really embraced the offense and they blew it up. And, you know, we fell short. Um, just like I think Kendall said in his interview, um, we had a lot of talent, tremendous amount of talent, but where I had not yet hit was finishing up, tying up the loose ends on the culture. And so this year, um, or after that game in Mariposa where we lost the game before the section final, um, I remember um, Ray Lewis, when they lost their uh, opportunity to go to the Super Bowl, all right, Tom Brady beat them. It was Joe Flacco's, I want to say Joe Flacco's uh, year before they went and won the Super Bowl, right? He had a great year. I remember watching a clip of him and everybody sulking and crying in the weight room. And, and Ray Lewis, man, who's probably my, my favorite football player, said, hey, you know, when you walk out that locker room, let's make sure that you put on a smile and, and, and then feel this, embrace the pain, what it feels like to lose, to get this far and not finish the, and not finish the task. And so when we we're in Mariposa, that was the first thing that popped into my mind. And when they were on the field celebrating and the fans were coming out and running on the field, you know, that school, that was our first time going back to the finals in like 40 years or something like that. Like that, it was huge for that program. And I'm ecstatic for Mariposa County that they, they got that opportunity to go to the finals and they ended up winning it. Um, but for me, I looked at it as an opportunity to teach. 
And so I pulled the football team in and they're crying and upset and they want to throw their helmets and all the stuff that teenagers do. And I brought them in tight and I said, I want you to listen to what is happening behind you. And they just listened and I let them go for five minutes. They listened to the hooping and the hollering and the laughter and the enjoyment. And I said, I want you to take this pain and I want you to bury it inside. And when we go into off season, every single day, I'm going to remind you that it was 52 to 27. And that's going to do something. That's going to spark a switch, right? Emotional response. We learn the best from trauma. And that was a traumatic experience for them. And we weren't prepared culturally. Our culture was not set in stone. Our talent only took us so far. And so that's what Jerron and Zach and Bryce decided to, to make that hashtag unfinished business. And so you see it on my Facebook, you see it um, all over Twitter, you know, and then I went back in the lab myself and I said, well, what am I going to do to take us over that next hump? And I think it's got to be the culture, the culture and the leadership development. And so above the line became a thing. And I read the Urban Meyer book of above the line and went through chapter by chapter, dissected it, took notes, um, and just did every bit of research of what that really meant, right? And so we use visual prompting now. You saw on the football field, we have the little red lines that are uh, painted, right? And so that's an indicator for them that when they're going out onto that field to remember what we're here for, that unfinished business, and that we have to cross the line and we have to act above that, right? Intentional, deliberate. We're not gonna blame, complain, defend. We're not gonna do any of those things we're going to put in the work because we know where we need to get and what we have to accomplish. And then you see it in the locker room with the words effort and compete and finish. Every day we weave that in. We're always, always talking about playing with effort plus two. If we tell you to go 10 yards, run 12. We tell you to do 10 reps, do 12. And, and so we have that plus two mentality. We have the, the red lines, the visual prompting, right? We have the, the references in practice, weaving in our drills, talking about competing and finishing the drill. And, and then we have a story to tell at the end of practice every day. And we, I try to weave in all those things. And so what it does is now when Jerron and Kendall and the other kids, David and Bryce and King, when they're talking, if you just sit around and listen to them in their drills, you hear, hey, we got to finish. Hey, we got to compete. I need more effort. It's no longer the coaches. It's the players. And I truly believe that they're on the path for an absolute remarkable season because the guys have bought in. And that is what took us from a one and nine to a seven and five and one game away from the section final to ultimately chasing what we're after is that unfinished business and how are we going to do it embracing our culture of effort, competing and finishing the drill and being above the line in everything that we do. And so we'll see what the end result is going to be come uh, April and May or whenever, whenever the finals are, you know, we, we plan to be there, uh, but we understand that nobody's going to lay down. It's not going to be easy. We don't expect it to be easy. We're ready to work. And we're ready to embrace the challenge. And you've obviously done a lot of growing with the wins, right? You won the seven, you get to the section semis. But another thing that's really grown for you guys is your profile as a school and recruiting. 
we've seen multiple kids of yours hearing from schools. We talked about it when we got your school yesterday as well. How much have you seen your program grow and school grow just on the recruiting scene? And what kind of dividends can this pay for the next five to 10 years for the kids that are going to start coming through your program? Yeah. So, um, obviously the, the, the youth guys, I think have done a phenomenal job. Um, I remember when I was a youth coach, we used to play the, the junior Falcons. Um, and they always had pretty good numbers. Uh, but at the end of the day, we, we would out, out athlete them. Um, and then it kind of just, it kind of just started falling apart for reasons I don't know. And so it got a little bit smaller. And then, um, when I got there in 2018, it kind of was like a, uh, like a resurrection. I know Bryce and David and, and Chris Lesbron and, and those guys and Kendall, um, they all played there in the youth league, you know, them transitioning over to the high school, um, all their buddies were, you know, at the middle school and getting to watch them practice and, oh, we got a high school football team now and, and all those kinds of things. And, and then those guys wanted to be a part of it, you know? And so now you see, you know, a year or two later, um, those kids looking up to Jerron and Kendall and, and Kai and, and all those guys. And now they say, I want to wear that number 48 jersey. I want to wear the number one or the number 21 or Kendall's, you know, 11 or Tamani's number two. And so because of that, those guys understand that they have a tremendous responsibility to leave a legacy. And so they're doing that. And so they're making those relationships with those younger guys. The younger guys are seeing it, right? We talked about the social media piece. Um, and they're wanting to be a part of the culture. And they're, they're, they're staying a part of it. And now the youth league has grown tremendously. I think last time I talked with um, the president down there, he's a baseball coach. Um, he was like, man, we're, we're, we keep growing. We keep getting bigger. And I think that's just a positive thing um, because ultimately you hope that those kids continue to be a part of your program. And you hope that they, you know, they have the choice to go wherever they want to go um, as, as underclassmen, middle schoolers, you know, youth kids, whatever you want to call it, however you want to spin it. Um, but we hope that, you know, people see what we're doing um, and the positivity that comes with that. And then they see how well our kids act and, and work and the accolades that they receive from just being above the line and doing the right things. And who wouldn't want that for their kid? Um, so, you know, it's just as important for us to pour into our current athletes, but it's even more important for those guys to be a good demonstrator of what right looks like. And the rest will take care of itself. And honestly, um, I'm really excited about the future. You know, we've got a lot of young uh, freshmen that have that have come from that that youth program, um, that have been VCS middle schoolers, been in VCS for their whole lives almost, um, and they're they're there and they're they're gonna immediately impact the team. Um, first guy that comes to mind is Noah Ciosi. I know he just performed at the Best Co Showcase and uh, put some of his videos out. And uh, man, the kid's gonna be a stud. I can't wait to see him lined up, you know, on the opposite end of Zach Mercado. Like, what are you gonna do? Like, <laughs> I'm really interested to see, are you gonna double Zach? You know, are you gonna try to, you know, block him like they attempt to do Aaron Donald? What are you gonna do with, with Noah on the outside and vice versa, you know, are you gonna chip him? You know, the, the, the X and O, you know, stuff pops in. And so 
if you try to double the end, you're going to give Zach a one-man lane. And so I'm just really excited how that's going to open up the game for Bryce and, you know, Tristan Creed, our safety on the back end, who's having a phenomenal offseason and training with KT Prep and those guys and just he, all those guys, man, they're all going to, they're all going to benefit from how that incoming freshman Noah Siosi works on the front with Zach Mercado and then how they make the game adapt to make their games easier. So uh, the future's bright. We're excited about, you know, where we're at. We're still a small team. You know, we went from 17 kids at first year to 21 to now 26. Um, and we just, we got guys that want to work and they want to be a part of something great. Um, removing the ego and just, you know, focusing on the task at hand and that's that unfinished business and being above the line and embracing that culture that we're instilling in there. And I love what you're doing with your program, but I think something that's even more important that what you're doing is you're working with players and advocating for players all in the region and working with coaches all throughout the Bay area. Um, how, is it, how important is it to work with other coaches just to get the Bay area names out there and just, being able to advocate everyone in this area, not just your program. No, yeah. Um, look at, let's look at Kennedy High School, right? Greg Marshall's the head coach there. Jermaine Terry was probably what, the number one or number two tight end in the nation, right next to the kid from Napa. Um, Greg's a very good friend of mine. We coach with each other every year in the All-Star game, the Bay Area All-Star game. And he knows what we look for in players um, and how we, okay, this kid needs to work on this or whatever. And Greg does too, right? And so when we get to work with each other, he's like, hey, I remember that kid over there. I remember when Jermaine was a freshman and coach, you might want to line him up at DN because Jermaine is a even better DN than he was a tight end. You know, even though he's going to Cal to play, he, the kid can do whatever he wants. Um, and so you learn from that and be like, yeah, we're going to try that. We're going to do that. And so next thing you know, you know, when those recruiters are coming to, to Greg or to G or to uh, Dion Evans at South or, or Joe Bates at Skyline, we've all communicated and worked with one another or our kids have competed against each other at these showcases. We can be like, hey, now that you're here, you might want to go check out that kid at, you know, that Greg's talking about or Greg. I mean, there's been times where he's called me and been like, hey, Arizona State's coming by. You know what I mean? They're going to be in the area at this time. I'm going to send them your way. And the same thing, I've done the same thing, you know, San Diego or UTEP has come by or whatnot. And, you know, it's such a small community coaching that the coaches at that level ask, like, is there any other guys that we don't know about in the area? And so it, by word of mouth, you know, send them to Vanden all the time to go look at, you know, the guys that I know that are still there and vice versa. And I know Greg does that for us. We do that with him. You know, we, uh, I think I sent out a couple of tweets to, to coach Evans and, and Joe and all those kinds of stuff. And I, it, it helps keep us connected because like in uh, the podcast that you guys did with coach Evans, uh, he talked about the coaching community and how we need to help one another and retweet each other's stuff and share with one another. And that, that was, that was, you know, resonated with me because he's absolutely right. We need to remove the egos there should not be any egos with the coaching with co in the coaching world. We're here at the end of the day to benefit the young kids and get them to the next level. However that looks, NAIA, D3, D2, it doesn't matter. College bound. And if I can help 
maybe Darius, when they come looking for Zach, how super cool would that be? I don't need any accolades. It does nothing for me. It doesn't put any more money in my pocketbook. But what would that do to the Skyline program? When they go and they look at Darius and go, wow, there's a couple other dudes here that we like too. They're going to come back and vice versa. They're going to come back for Zach and everybody else behind him. And so it's important. And we understand that. And um, I absolutely love working with the other guys in the area. We have a couple group chats where sometimes we kind of give each other a hard time, especially, you know, we got the Raider fans and the, and the Niner fans and they haven't been very good for very long. And so now they're on the up and up. So, you know, my coaches are, I got some Eagle fans. I don't know how coach Pat is an Eagle fan. I know he's going to kill me for saying this. <laughs> then I got a, a running back coach, coach winners. That's a Cowboy fan. I'm like, that's even worse. And, and I'm just like, but it's fun because we can continue to pick at each other. And at the same time, we understand that the task at hand is to get into kids at the next level. And we can still have fun doing it, even though we don't wear, you know, the same mascot on our helmet. You know, like Coach Evans said, we don't have to be friends the week we're going to play each other. You know, we're enemies, <laughs> right? But after the other 364 days, I believe is how we said it. We need to work together to make our communities and our players and our teams the best they possibly can be. And then right before we get into some really fun questions we've got for you, one thing I've really noticed about your kids is the character you've got. We've noticed it with Cassie posting on Twitter, Facebook all the time, especially with kids like Jerron Leakes out there, things that he's done in the community. Just talk more about the character you have on your roster and why you think your kids just have such a high character at such a young age. Yeah, um, we hold them to a very big, very high standard. Um, they're all extremely, extremely dedicated to being better. Um, and I think that that probably started at home because um, they have some phenomenal parents. Um, but when they come to work, and what I mean by work, when they come to school and they get in practice, um, they understand that you might be talented and people might want you to play for that school. But if you don't have an education, if you don't have the grades, if you don't have a, you know, a good SAT score for the schools that are still taking it, if you don't present yourself with a good image on social media, no one's going to, no one's going to want to take you. And what a great, teaching tool that is for business because I got some kids that want to major in business I got some guys that want to do engineering I'm like let's say you want to work at Nike you're a dope defensive lineman and they want to market you they want to put the Nike symbol on you and they want to brand you whatever but you're over here dropping f-bombs and putting all kinds of you know just distasteful stuff on your social media it's not about you you might be a really good person right but your character doesn't show that with what you're putting out there. And so you can be a great person, but if nobody sees that, no one's gonna take a chance on you. So why would it be any different in the football world, right? And so we really focus on getting them to understand that at the end of the day, you want people to respect you and believe in you for what you are and what you symbolize when those shoulder pads and helmet are not on. Because that is the most important thing. Your word, when you say you're going to do something, you do it and you finish it. And then ultimately, 
when you're on the field, you can be just a nasty dog dude. But when you take them shoulder pads off, now you're representing your last name, which is attached to your family. You're representing your school when you wear a Falcon shirt. You're rep representing the 707 and all the kids from here that are trying to get recruited that might be coming through your school. You have an unprofound amount of responsibility by what you do and say and how you conduct yourself as a person. And so I think that now all their buddies that are in the area that play at different schools, they all talk and they go, hey, I don't wanna let my friend down who's down the street, who might have an opportunity to talk to a recruiter that's coming to talk to me. And so when you put paint it to them like that, and you get them to understand that is not about them. It's about everybody else behind them and their friends. It kind of resonates a little bit better, in my opinion. And it gets them to buy in. And they go, hey, I don't want to let my friends down. I don't want to let my family down. I don't want to have a bad name. So it's just the right thing to do. And I think that that's probably the number one reason why these guys have a tremendous amount of character. They're highly respected. Um, and they just continue to get better. They've grown up so much because they went through some growing pains of that one and seven season. And now they're seeing the fruits of their labor. And so now they're finding ways to get better. And I think that it's come because of the character development, the above the line, the mentality, the things that we're preaching, the, the visual prompting, all those things go into rewiring your brain and getting you to understand that the reality that you create right? You can recreate your reality and your environment that you put yourself in. You can mold it and shape it to get them an extreme amount of success. And so I've always believed in you're the average of the five people that you associate yourself with. And so if you can gravitate to those really, really eccentric and character-based people, then you're only going to boost your, your stock, right? And so they understand that, they see that, with us and the staff, I mean, I'm always doing stuff with the staff and, and I mean, they're, they're like family, you know, my daughter, coach Lee are one of our linebacker coaches, you know, when he comes by the house, man, my daughter, Annalise just lights up and wants to hang on him and hug on him and, and just hang out with him and all that kind of stuff. And the kids see that, that is not, it's not a, it's not a business transaction between me and coach Lee. That's, that's like, I look up to him and, and, he has a role in my daughter's life and he has a role in coach Pat's kid's life and he has a role in your life and, and coach Grundy and coach Mercado and Pat and all, all the coaches that I have. And so if we as adults can emulate that, there is no reason why they shouldn't either. And so if you want to be a good leader, in my opinion, and you want your kids to have high character and follow um, that in which they see you yourself have to exemplify that and carry yourself that way, and they will too. And now we do want to get into the fun questions that we ask everyone. So first one's a little easier. What is your favorite home-cooked meal? Oh man, favorite home-cooked meal. Growing up, it was probably spaghetti and lasagna. Um, but being out here in California, and I could do sushi probably every day, but 
I'm going to say I'll go with lasagna. That's probably my, my most favorite home cooked meal. My wife does this lasagna in the crock pot. Oh man. It's so amazing. It's like hamburger helper meets like, I don't know what's the what, like Italian lasagna. I don't know. Like, I don't know what she does um, or what she puts in that stuff. But uh, man, the crock pot has saved my life a couple of times uh, with these long days and long nights and stuff, you know, coaching. Cause my wife's a, a, a high school cheerleading coach and she's way busier than I am. And uh, sometimes I don't even know how she makes it work. And she's way better of a coach than I am. You guys should interview her. She's got some crazy, some crazy stories and some, and some good things going, man, that, that, uh, she's, she's very good at what she does and won a lot, has won a lot of championships. And, um, but anyway, she can cook a mean lasagna. So I'm going to, I'm going to roll with the lasagna, the crock pot lasagna. That sounds, I think that's the first answer we've gotten. That was Italian food and lasagna. I like it. It's different. Yeah. Yeah. I like, you know, I, I mean, I love steak too. Don't get me wrong, but, uh, maybe it's, I'm getting older, man. It just kind of messes with my stomach now, you know? So, um, something I try to keep it with the, the turkey, turkey meat stuff or the like fish or chicken, just kind of keep it lighter. Um, just, I don't know, maybe I'm getting, starting to get old and I just don't want to admit it. Yeah. It's interesting. We've had a, we've had a good mix of food. We've had, uh, yeah. Yeah, the baked potato, though, still really irks Chris. Yo, so, man, growing up, baked potato, my dad, man, my, my dad make a baked potato slap. I mean, I don't know what he used to do them things, but they, they would bake them and then put them on the grill. Then we would put, like, the green onion in them, and then he would, like, like slow turn them in the, in the grill. And I just remember we ate a lot of baked potatoes growing up, sour cream and bacon and cheese and all that. We're – we're a baked potato family growing up. So yeah, we, we indulge, indulge in the baked potatoes. I'm, I'm with that. And then how about your Texas Longhorns? Is Texas finally back? They look good in game one. Sam Ellinger was dominating game one. Is Texas finally back? And how does that Texas West Virginia game go here in November? <laughs> We're going to get the dub. I mean, come on. Like we should already know that, you know what I'm saying? I, I know that that, uh, Y'all don't do so well when West Virginia comes to Austin. Just to oh, man. It, you know what? 2018, 2018, Will Greer off one foot. Best pass ever to Gary Jennings. And they go for two twice. David Souls on the slant. Timeout, though. And then the second play, Greer runs in, flashes the horns down to the seat second. Unbelievable. I was absolutely screaming at Tom Orlando. I was like, what are we doing there? Like, you got to know. I'm literally, my wife is like, you need to calm down. I'm like, everybody can see it. Like, don't let this kid get out. Put a linebacker spy on him. Put the, uh, put, um, oh my God, our DN. It, you, you've got to take that matchup. You've got to understand that. And when the pocket collapsed and I saw him roll to the left, I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. He's going to walk in. And I was, I was so upset because I'm like, I'm a high school coach. Like, Everybody in the stadium saw this. Like, why? What are we doing here? But uh, anyway, it's over. That's in the past, Chris. We're not going to talk about that anymore. Um, it's a different season. Yeah. Sam Ellinger is ready. Uh, he's got some uh, rejuvenated weapons on the edge. Uh, man, our running backs look good. Uh, the defense looks um, looks good. I know we're thin at linebacker. Um, I'm hoping that Chris Ash and this change to the 4-3, um, I've never been a fan of the 4-3. I know it's been around for a while. 
Um, I'm a four, two, five, uh, TCU guy. Everything that we do defensively is, is predicated off of what they do. And I know we've had some crazy runs with TCU. Those are some, some crazy games as well, but, uh, I'm hoping that he can get it done. I'm hoping that he can get it done on the defensive side of the ball. I know Sam is, uh, he's as the best competitor as they come. Um, I know we're in good hands with him. And I think that, uh, Tom Herman's got that ship, uh, on the right path. And, um, I'm excited to see where the Longhorns go this year. Sam Ellinger's as much as I hate watching him play against him. He's a heck of a leader and a heck of a guy when you listen to him, right? Like he's, He's high character. He's been through a lot of stuff in his life. So oh. He's about the epitome of what it means to be a leader. Yeah, man. I it, What a story, right? And his father, you know, passing away and, and seeing all those pictures of him in the Longhorn shirts when he was a kid, you know, holding up his sign and stuff like that. And it just, it reminds me of my childhood. And, and it reminds me of every kid's dream growing up in Texas is to wear that burn orange to throw up those horns and you see a guy like Sam who's lived that from birth and then out living his dream. And you can't help but want to root for a guy like that, especially through all the adversity that he's been through. Tremendous amount of respect for him, what he's doing now, what he's going to continue to do in the league next year. And I'm just happy that he's a Longhorn. Yeah, no, he's a great kid too. And I do have to say though, that 2018 game, Y'all let West Virginia fans take over Austin that night. I was there. Then a month later, I graduated college, and I flashed the horns down. The first one I do to graduation, and every kid after me did it. I will share it on social media as proof just to, you know, maybe, uh, maybe ruffle a few feathers. Man, maybe we maybe we need to we need to figure out make a road trip. Maybe we can get yes. some tickets and yes. and, and head down there. Or, you know, I've never been to, to Morgantown. Maybe I might have to make the track and – and go get a, a little uh, recultured, so to speak, up there and go see what that's about. You know, you know what? Our guest next week went to West Virginia. We will coordinate this on the podcast. Greg is shaking his head. We will get you out to Morgantown, and then we will also go to Austin with you and have a good time. There's hey, a home series. I'm and with it. Here's the thing. I don't want to be a West Virginia fan, but I'm not really a huge fan of Texas, so I'm stuck in the middle here with – Okay, okay, Greg, 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 let's be honest, though. That 2018 game, my entire group chat while I'm there, this guy is going crazy. Okay, he was going crazy when Will Greer completed that pass. So, I know Greg is a West Virginia fan. Uh, next week, ask again on that podcast. <laughs> All right, I'll be ready for it. I'll be ready to watch. Oh, yeah. Then we got to ask you the classic California-Texas rivalry. I think you know where this is going. In and out or Whataburger, what's better? Man, uh... You're talking about the Cal Texas thing, right? Yep. If I heard you correctly. Yep, in and out burger. Did you see Jerron and those guys roasting me the other day on Twitter about the Cal Texas game? I was like, why you guys gotta bring up old stuff? Like why I here I am advocating for you, trying to do us right, and you just kind of just rain on my parade. I was at that game, I was sitting in the end zone and watching Davis Webb just completely annihilate us and I was like what are we what are we doing here like man I was I don't know we need to get that game back on the schedule uh maybe I can see if uh coach Toller if you're watching please let's try to get Cal back on the schedule with Texas um I feel like we need some redemption and another shot at it in Memorial Stadium I know coach Mercado my offensive line coach is a Cal alum He's a graduate there. 
Uh, so I hear it all the time. And so they'll, in the group chat that we have, I get the, the pictures all the time, man, it's, I just can't escape it. And now with you and the West Virginia thing, it's, and I'm never going to escape it, but you know what? It's in our past. Those were our dark days. Sam is here. We're back. So let's, let's get it back on the schedule so I can feel, I can feel better about myself. Give me another shot. Yeah, I don't think you want to have Jerron coming at you on Twitter again. I, I, I think we all saw that. Yeah, yeah. And you know what's crazy, too, is he's um, he's got a tremendous relationship with the coaching staff there. Um, he's been to a couple of their camps, all obviously, you know, pre-COVID and stuff like that. Um, I know that's his dream school. And uh, I would have to be a Cal fan, you know, if, if it, that ends up working out for him. Um, I guess I'm just going to have to suck it up and uh, – I've one, go watch him play, uh, but two, you know, just take the Texas hat off and we'll just pretend like, you know, that's not happening. But I told him that the day at school, I was like, if, if you end up getting an opportunity to be blessed to go to a, a, a school of that magnitude, um, I love you and I'll always be here for you and I got your back. But when the day Texas comes to play, bro, you might not want to catch that ball because we're coming and it's – it's, <laughs> I can't let – that's a different ball game. But until then, I'm, the, I'm your biggest fan. Okay. Okay, and then last thing, In-N-Out Burger or Whataburger? Whataburger, hands down. Man, I have this argument with my wife all the time. Yes. You guys are kidding me. Yes. Dude, like how is that even a conversation? So I've been here 17 and a half years, and that's the first thing when people find out I'm from Texas – they're like, oh, Whataburger, In-N-Out. I'm like, that's not a question, man. Like, where else can you go and get a big, I'm talking like a big old burger with a box of fries and then a 44 or 42 ounce strawberry milkshake for oh, they, like five bucks. No, they have a Dr. Pepper shake now. <sighs> I'm sold. I don't even drink soda anymore. But when I did, it was Dr. Pepper. My wife, she, my wife's from Vacaville. She's from here from California. And she absolutely loves In-N-Out. And so does my daughter, my five-year-old. They absolutely love it. And they're like, hey, you know, we're going to go get some burgers. Do you guys want In-N-Out? And I'm like, I'm good. I'll make a sandwich at home. Like, I, they'll sometimes they just get it and bring it. And obviously, I'm not disrespectful. I'm going to eat the food. But, like, the whole time I'm eating it, I can just, like, close my eyes and imagine a water burger because it's so much better. Oh, you get the Texas toast with it. Oh, you get the spicy. Chris, Chris, hold on, hold on. Fries. Those are slappers. Come oh, on. You got oh, it. The man. chicken fingers they got there, too. Miss and miss. Oh, man. Hold on. I got to interrupt here for a second on your love affair of Whataburger. Because, <laughs> Chris, you have multiple times said that In-N-Out is better than Whataburger. I have before, but things have changed because the last few times I got in and out, it's just not the same. It's like I start thinking of the Whataburger craving. It's been a few months. I think of that patty melt on Texas toast, and I get that oh. Dr. Pepper shake. It's just – it's immaculate, man. It's, it's And you flip-flop in every other time. Now, but now I am on the record, and I am here to stay. I, may be I might be clowning Coach T for being a Texas fan, but on social media with Whataburger, we are together, and we will be clowning all these Californians. Yep. Does Waterburger have a Twitter? Because we need to we need to yes, let them know. They yes, they do. Yes, they can give us free food. Actually, when we go to that Texas West Virginia game, we get a free meal. You see, I gotta I gotta follow them and let them know that we love them and they're they're being missed out here in Vacaville, California. 
Yes, I will tweet at them as soon as we are done with this podcast. And I will yeah, tell come, them. come to California and then we can talk about who's better. How about that Whataburger? <laughs> but you know, the same thing, the same thing people, what is it, Hardee's and Carl's Jr.? Is that the other the other two, right? I got I got friends and family in, in Arizona and they same thing. They're like, oh, Hardee's is way better than Carl's Jr. I'm like, it's the same thing. It's just a different billboard. What are you talking about? But whatever, man. Certain people like certain things. It is what it is. Yeah, it is. I'm really glad he came up with that answer. That's good. That's a great answer. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, but you know what? We'll end on that note. That wraps it up for the horns down edition of the West Coast Preps podcast. Thanks again to Coach C from Vacaville Christian for coming on. We've been to VCS many times. It's always been a great trip. So thank you so much for always having us out there with your kids. It's always a pleasure. Until our next trip there, until our next podcast, be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube. Follow us on social media at West Coast Preps underscore and follow our work at westcoastpreps.com.